This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Greg. From Dakota Ring Theater. Oh, should I say more than that? Hello, I'm Greg Taylor from Dakota Ring Theater. Well, you are pretty famous, but I'm not Am sure. Am I? I'm not sure they know you by one name yet. <laughs> it's like a share thing. I'm that's, trying for it. That's right. Well, Greg, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of episodes recently that, I, you know, I, I listen all year long and then I, I usually write up a review in July, and which means after I have to listen to them all again, which actually is really good because I totally forget what happened in the season until I, I you know, put it all together in a review. Um, but a couple of recent episodes were were just uh, it's why I love the show so much. It's 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 you get the same thing every time, uh, which is good, and then you get a, something different every time, which is also good. So uh, one of the shows you had recently was called um, Girls Night Out. That was set in Hi. Vancouver. What can you tell us about that episode? Well, that was a um, set uh, we're progressing. We're uh, allowing the. Uh, the universe of the the Red Panda Adventures to change as we go through. Sort of the intention being to tell a, a mystery man story from start to finish, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're uh, into the war period now, and this is a, a little field trip that the Flying Squirrel went on um, uh, to Vancouver mm-hmm. uh, to essentially, and this doesn't factor too much into the story, but to uh, recover some records that uh, she felt the government is... Uh, a secret branch of the government is now aware of the Red Panda's identity, and there was supposedly only one set of files, and they multiplied. So they've been tracking down all of the files and replacing them with phony files that give wrong identities. Um, uh, And uh, while she's there, she runs into the local mystery man, who is in fact a lady called the Gray Fox, and uh, they, uh, who is similarly inclined towards... uh, uh, the, the enjoyment of violence, mm-hmm. and uh, they uh, they go on the town West Coast style. Yeah, um, it it was it was it, it is it fits into the continuity and the sort of the continuing story arc, but uh, it expands the the universe a little bit. We've, we've gone to New York or something before. Uh, we get you know the idea there are other superheroes in other cities, uh, but this one this one it goes to another Canadian city and. Um, and it deals with sort of a Vancouver sort of uh, issue. Uh, although I'm not sure, I'm not sure how accurate was there a ring of J- Japanese spies or uh, or uh, fake Japanese spies here during World War II. Uh, my it's, my history's a little shaky on that particular part, but it's a little more, of course. Um, you know, we never go too far into the conceit that this was an actual show because mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, the Flying Squirrel would never be allowed on network radio. Uh, Back in the day, right. it uh, you know Margot Lane was uh, about as brave and bold as you could get, and uh, and she wasn't very. She just gave Lamont someone to talk to. Uh, so, but at the same time, uh, we do accept certain conceits, and, and one is that uh, on on the West Coast there was a great deal of paranoia about yeah. uh, Japanese spies. Whether or not there were a lot of Japanese spies, uh, I I really couldn't say i'm more interested in the uh uh in the in the uh, slightly hysterical um passions of the time i also don't know you know there is an over o- overrunning uh arc through the season of a uh, a nazi um 
mastermind who was sent to Canada to orchestrate uh, fifth column activities uh, called the Archangel. Uh, and every time they think they've got him, he uh, turns out to be somebody else. He's just a decoy. Mm. And uh, I again, I don't really know that the Nazis had any great plan for Canada. I'm sure if you know they oh they did. Uh, you know there's a, there's an episode of um, it's called Nazi Eyes on Canada, which is oh, a yes that was. I mean you know they certainly big big plans. Keep- they wanted to. Well, we understand that's not a historical document either. That, no, that but but it's based on. It is based on a, a historical uh, event where they sent spies over to do a survey. You know, see what is the strength of this place, and uh, I mean, how much of it was a guy who was on vacation and had submitted it to, <laughs> submitted it to the government on you know on spec is unclear. But they did. You know, such documents were collected and. You know, they did it with the intent of helping helping the their own government. Um, it, there's some there's there's something to it. I'm I'm sure that given the opportunity, eventually they definitely have got to uh, um, got around to Canada. They, and with the radio program Nazi Eyes on Canada, um, they. Uh, um, uh, they, I think it was for the fourth victory bond drive. Really, uh-huh. they had uh-huh. a lot of American celebrities up to uh, uh, to play in these scripts, and it was it was to sell bonds. Everything was about selling bonds. Uh, as if people hadn't bought the bonds, we probably would have lost the war. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more interested in, in playing with uh, those ideas in the same way. So it doesn't really matter to me if there was. And and really, in in the episode Girls Night Out. It, it does turn out to uh, the sabotage ring was being blamed on a mm-hmm. uh, uh, nest of Japanese spies, but it was in fact um, archangels doing again. Uh, and again, this is also me not really wanting to get into and and having set the show as it has always been in Toronto, um, I don't have to go too far with the um, Japanese villains. Uh, because, well, honestly, I think you can make fun, uh, I can make fun of Germans a little bit because they're white as ice cream and so am I. Uh, you get into, you know, and there's just lines that I don't particularly want to cross. So actually having, um, the gray fox, so the, the, uh, female, uh, Superhero who protected Vancouver in the period is secretly um, also secretly Japanese, Japanese. and secret, secretly a superhero. Japanese. Yeah, yes, um, and uh, uh, you know someone of Japanese ancestry who was born in Canada, um, but who uh, it actually is something that you know, would would be fun. It is a very cool idea because you know it feels like a you know it's it's uh, you know I, I remember in the scene where um, right before they meet. Uh, yeah, she gets a phone call saying there's a uh, someone looking for her in the hotel earlier, and that she was wearing a dark hat and and sunglasses. Well, the sunglasses are part of her secret identity too, right? Because walking down the street as a Japanese uh, looking person, you're going to be uh, subject to internment, perhaps. I mean, what what's uh, what what year are we in? The war? are we 1939? Oh. We're not we're not to the period of uh, internment yet. We're still actually pre Pearl Harbor. Okay. Um, when we come back from uh, the break, because of course we've uh, gone from uh, the Red Panda Adventures to uh, six episodes of Blackjack. Uh, when we come back, uh, I we are actually 
post Pearl Harbor. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to be able to tell these World War II era stories to a largely American audience um, with just a slightly different perspective. Uh, you know, we're, we're telling these stories and we're obviously in the middle of the war and the world is quite clearly at war and it's still at this point pre-Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. So they're not involved at all. Um, and that's obviously, you know, they know the chronology of, of things, but when um, in uh, American produced entertainment, obviously they would tend to start the story uh, a little bit later mm-hmm. uh, when they can play a little bit more of a central role. Um, uh, you know, understandably. Uh, but uh, it, it's neat just to be able to come at it from a slightly different perspective because there's different things that uh, that are important. Uh, there is, uh, you know, later in the season, we will, I think I can say this without really spoiling anything. If you're familiar with uh, history, uh, mm-hmm. you'll know that uh, obviously there's going to be some kind of mention made of uh, Dieppe. Mm-hmm. And... I think many of our listeners will then go to their computer and Google Dieppe by various spellings until they come up with, uh, uh, you know, a, a page that will tell them what the heck that was. Uh, I hope that's the case anyway. Um, you know, our, uh, our own, he's not going to be there. That's the thing about having a, setting a, a hero story in, uh, something like World War II, you, you don't want to, or I don't want to, have it be all about the Red Panda um, and how he... Single-handedly, single-handedly defeats Hitler yes, because with, a, with a big fist a to the people, jaw. A lot of people actually worked together and defeated it. So uh, I think what we'll probably see happen is that as we make our way through a lot of the things that we have in our universe given the Nazis that they did not likely have, um, like, uh, uh, although in many other uh, tellings and mythologies, they've, uh, uh, they, they have acquired all sorts of uh, occult powers, right. um, augmented dinosaurs uh, being, you know, ridden uh, by uh, um, riders wearing telepathic helmets, uh, you know, all the, all the lovely pulpy stuff that we've given the Nazis to be even more scary. We'll probably take it away from them and then let history take its course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that seems fair. Um, but, uh, and, and even with uh, direct confrontation, he's much more likely to be in confrontation with um, Professor von Schlitz uh, than, than Hitler himself. Uh, although there's some, you know, there's some lovely old-timey Captain America covers where he's, you know, punching Hitler in the face, and, yeah. like that. and those, and those are great. But there's just obviously, I don't want to say as a sensitivity, but there's certainly an awareness that you don't want to, you don't want to take credit for anything that actual people actually fought and died to do. Um, but at the same time, it's a, a wonderful, lovely source of. Um, pulpy energy. I mean, you think about in uh, in, in the Indiana Jones movies that work, mm-hmm. where he's um, fighting the Nazis, and, and the, the glory of it is, everybody hates these guys. Everybody wants to see them lose. Nobody's got any misplaced sympathies, and if they do, well, too bad you didn't enjoy the movie, yeah. you weirdo. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, 
uh, you know, it, it's one of real history's um, rare examples of actual cartoonish supervillains. So why would we not continue to tell stories in which we can punch them in the face? Of course. Of course. Um, but uh, so we're having a good time. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it's shaping up really nicely, and um, you know, uh, you had this uh, stumbling block of the the character never had. I mean, I've been reviewing this show for five years. I guess it's been running for maybe six. Is that right? And uh, yeah, October two thousand five. Okay. Oh, so it's going to be six soon. We're, we're in season six. Yeah. So, um, so I've I've been. I've been watching the show develop, and, and you had you sort of handicapped yourself a few ways when you first started. You know, you, nobody knows the main character's first name uh, except oh, nobody in the audience will ever know the main character's first or last names. They just know him as Red Panda or Boss or you know High Guy or whatever. And you you handicapped yourself quite a while there by by seeing you know how long can I go without actually naming who the main character is. And then I and en- I enjoyed the convention. Yeah, it was the, fun. Uh, the 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 man with the identity so secret even the audience doesn't know it. Um and and somebody asked me about it on on the uh fanboys at audiodramatalk.com and uh I guess I had, you know, I, I was probably supposed to be doing something else because I wrote this lovely um little essay on how when I started the show, uh I had access to um, uh, some of uh, Kit Baxter's early diaries, and that was about it. And uh, both the uh, the Fenwick Foundation and uh, um, and the um, oh the, the Fenwick Institute uh, really had no interest in my retelling these stories. So I was actually <laughs> prohibited by the lawyers from using the Fenwick name. But they never <laughs> remembered to tell me not to use the name Kit Baxter. Uh, so it was a loophole that I was able to exploit and tell uh, tell the stories with just never using his his actual name. But of course, you know those who know the history know that uh, Kit Baxter eventually became Kit Baxter Fenwick, and so they could figure it out. I just couldn't say it. And then as the show became more popular, and and the family realized that what I was doing was actually um, enormously respectful uh, of of the legacy, uh, they they relaxed and gave me access to more of the. Uh, uh, the recovered records and diaries, and uh, and I was able to finally uh, use use the name. <laughs> uh, and so I thought about go, running with that convention, and just any time anybody asked me about it, just approach it as if I was actually. And, and you know, I I reserve the right, you know, ten or twenty years from now to actually do that and just be a full on nutcase about this. <laughs> but uh, it's it's hard to remember when you weave this tangled web of lies. It is difficult to remember which lie you've already told. Um, so, uh, uh, I, I haven't really fully gone that route yet, but yeah, that's, that's my story and I'm not quite sticking to it yet. But, uh, you, you, you seem to, you seem to enjoy sort of, you know, setting up problems, not, not for the characters, but for you, for your, for your, for your own writing, uh, to, to make, you know, so how do I get, not do, how do I get these characters out of this particular situation, but how do I get, um, how do I write my way out of this? This um, so like in at the, I guess the beginning of um, or was it the end of season five? You have um, someone find out someone finds out uh, Red Panda's identity um, and and makes him join the army, basically, right? Uh, that end of season five. At the, at the end of season five, he ha- he believes 
that um, a, uh, a, a government agent um, called uh, Fitzroy mm-hmm. um, is, uh, is aware of his identity, but it's never, never entirely sure. He suspected, and certainly many members of our audience uh, suspected we were going that route. Um, but then, obviously, he, Fitzroy just sat on this information, and he, and he flagged um, uh, August Fenwick's file so that if he ever joined up, um, he would immediately belong to uh, uh, to Fitzroy's uh, secret agency, uh, and and of course eventually he did mm-hmm. uh, join of his own uh, uh, volition and was then, which was again you know you run into this with heroes of the era. Um, how did they? How did they keep them from going over and getting in, you know, a, a unit and standing in a line and firing a gun, which is what he expected, what the Red Panda expected he would have to do when he joined the army. But he just, well, you know, I've got maybe a few years of heroing left before I'm too old for this anymore. And uh, because realistically, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> um you know, Batman can think young after 80 or 90 years, but if you're going to actually, you know, tell the story in a single creator universe, you have, you have to eventually say, oh, boy, I'm getting too old for this. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he's like, I have a few good years left, but uh, after that I'm going to have to ride out the clock as August Fenric, and I'd rather not be thought as a coward. I mean, it really just was part of that. Um, but uh, And this approach in different ways. I mean, Superman, as you recall, accidentally looked through the wall and read the eye chart in a different room and was 4F. <laughs> so he had to stay home as, as Clark Kent. Um, seems a little daffy. I don't remember him ever, you know, in any other instance, accidentally using his X-ray vision. But, they, but whatever, it worked. Uh, the spirit um, volunteered to undertake secret missions for the American government um, on the condition that he never had to reveal his identity, and they seemed fine with that, and uh, and so periodically he would, you know, be assigned to these missions and go. Uh, so you 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 try and find a way for him to fit into into the real and into what's actually going on around him, and, and think what his own reaction would be, and and then just try and obviously, you know, there there are fantastic elements to the story and you just accept them you say them once and and then if you believe in them and treat them with conviction and then a certain amount of respect for your own material um the audience will believe them too like mm-hmm. static shoes shoes that use the power of static electricity to help you climb sheer surfaces and propel you vast distances i don't happen to think that would actually work and if it would <laughs> we certainly didn't have them in 1931 but if you believe in them and you don't do what a, a lot of folks do uh, in Hollywood, I think is the mistake they make is to try something fantastic, but then come at it with a bit of a nudge and a wink. Like we don't really, you know, we don't really believe this, and they end up slipping into a parody of their own work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you treat it with respect and having invented this fantastic universe, then. Uh, um, just try and find the truth of the character in the situation. Um, I, I think that's why we've been able to uh, compel people's attention for so long. Is uh, there's just that? Uh, I think you're. I think you're right. I, I think you're. I think you're right. And one of the one of the things that I, I know I've, I've been thinking about. I, I mean, I don't think about superheroes all that much. I, I read a. I read comics, but I don't. 
I don't think I only superhero comics I read right now is called The Boys, which is uh, about a group of guys who get superpowers only to go beat up superheroes because superheroes wreck everyone's lives by, you know, showing off and such. But uh, you know, basically they just make money for the I, I guess the superhero company or whatever it is. Um, mm. The 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 thing is is I always think about you know what. Who likes what superhero tells you something about about that person? When I was a kid, I first loved Superman. And then I realized that Superman was lame because he had all these powers. And then, you know, massive amounts of powers, bulletproof and could fly and can lift anything. He, he can turn back time. And, and then the only way to stop him was to, you know, show him a rock. And then he would, you know, fall to the floor weak with... Like weak like a baby kitten, right? Um, well, I didn't like that. It's less lame than the Martian Manhunter, for Pete's sakes. You know, it's a. Uh, what's his, I mean, what's his know, kryptonite? I've got a thirty thousand dollar rock to take care of the one from Metropolis. With you, I just need a penny for a book of matches to <laughs> borrow borrow from uh, 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 Justice League, the the New Frontier. Um, but uh, but Batman, yeah. Batman was the one that I eventually settled on. I said, this is my man, right? He's just a guy. He's a rich guy. Well, grant him that. He's a rich guy, but he he basically has his his superpower is a strength of will, right? I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to. It's going to cost me dearly. I'm going to get beat up all the time, and all the all the all the things that are going to go into it are planning. And he's 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 just a human being who uh, is sort of setting it up to be. He's smarter than everyone else. He's a I guess the detective is what they call him. And, and you're sort of, uh, it's interesting, you're sort of pl- straddling the line between a full-blown superhero and with, with most of your characters, as far as I can tell, they don't really have superpowers. They're just heroes, and then maybe there's some one little thing that they, they can do. And, and that's true of the supervillains as well, right? Our main character has the power to, uh, I guess, I was going to say, cloud men's minds but that's not quite exactly right <laughs> he's a he he can hypnotize you right yes he has uh uh he he does have hypnotic powers um that he's uh, trained himself to use which is uh, a lovely device and when i started out i had no idea how useful it would be but of course in in the course of doing these things sooner or later people are just going to figure out your secret identity but when you can just erase them <laughs> hey that's marvelous yeah uh, it's, it's a wonderful cheat uh, and you don't have to keep this flow chart of who knows your secret identity um, in uh, in current continuity. Um, but, but Kid Baxter uh, has no powers. Kid Baxter, no, just Moxie. Yeah, um, the power and, of Moxie. Uh, well, it's it's some pretty serious Moxie. Uh, I've uh, um, and uh, great well, great out of the reaction of people to both uh, Kit Baxter and in our detective series to uh, uh, Trixie Dixon, girl detective, yeah, she's got and. Moxie uh, too. Just um, being able to create um, female characters in a traditionally, in, in storytelling terms, uh, um, male-dominated uh, genres that don't smack of, look at me, I'm the female character in a male-dominated genre, and I'm going to do this <laughs> and this, and, you know, those things that just come across like, oh, I don't know, like something you see on CBC television where they go so far, you know, the look how dumb all the white people are that kind of thing you know okay. oh, really uh, it, it, there's there's a way to do that and and i think it's just to 
uh, again, you know, create a create a character that you can believe in, and then do that. Uh, and uh, it, it helps too that uh, in writing the characters for uh, um, Trixie for Andrea Lyons and uh, um, Kit for uh, uh, for Clarissa. Um, never wanting to give them a bad part to play. I mean, trying to write something that is uh, worthy of the time and attention um, from some uh, some wonderful performers. Uh, definitely. Is. Definitely are great roles. Um, uh, you, and, you, and I'm always pleased by the, by the reality, you know, when I see on the fan boards and Facebook group and, uh, and, and just generally on our list of monthly donors, um, the fact that it's a pretty even split between male and female listeners, and uh, um, I, I think that's tough to do. If you're if you're telling a, uh, a an old timey superhero story or a detective story, you can pretty much expect your audience to be a, a sausage party, but uh, that's never been the case with us. And uh, uh, in the I'm summer, in the summer, you did one of the one of the things I really liked. You did this summer was um, you 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 got old scripts and then re recast them with other people in the cast. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of reminded me of there was a, a show very briefly on I think it was filmed in Vancouver. Uh, by Stephen J. Cannell called Scene of the Crime, where they took a, a stock cast of actors and then just told a new kind of uh, mystery or crime episode every every one. So one week, one guy would be the police detective, and then next week it would be, uh, he would be the criminal. And, and so you just get a, a stock set of actors, and then they do, I guess, a repertory company, and then they do a different story every week. And what you did was you switched uh, you you sort of put all the roles in a blender and and everybody got to play a different role than they had originally um and then it, you did it one was fun it was it was really fun and then you did one with a gender switched uh so yeah, the last that one, was that was awesome and it, and it was the only or well, one of the only scripts that we've ever done where there actually were three more there were three females and two males um uh, because one of the problems with flipping the the uh, genders was going to be when I was looking at the scripts. I'm like, well, that would be fine, but I need, I would need every woman in the company to come in for this day. Mm-hmm. And those were, when we do a recording day now, you know, it's a full day and we record four episodes. So I need to have a cast that works for all four episodes. Right. So I would need three other new scripts that we would be producing that, uh, where I needed eight women in and it just wasn't going to happen. Um, but uh, Justice in Love and War was a, a good script for it, and uh, one that I was uh, pleased to revisit. I, I, I do, you know, I've, after all this time, there, there aren't that many scripts that you look at and you go, "Yeah, that was uh, that was what it was supposed to be," you know, and uh, and that's one of them that I've always been very fond of. So that was fun to revisit. It was, but it was also it was also fun to 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 hear the same story told. Um, you didn't, I don't think you changed the line of the script, right? It's the exact same story. Um, yes. Exact same story. So the females are are saying, "What what's this fella's problem?" To another female, or exactly. about another female, and and the uh, the that 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 switching it up, it, it's it's so jarring, right? But it also it works, and you sort of forget about it, and then you're you're halfway through the episode, and you're thinking, "Wait, wait a second, that's a guy." That's a guy talking in a girl's role. And yeah, it, I asked them not to think about putting on a voice. I said, don't necessarily think about playing a man or playing a woman. Think about 
the character and what they say mm-hmm. more than that. Um, and because uh, otherwise the charm would really wear off, I think, after two minutes. But you really notice, I think, even more um, how much the way Trixie deals with a crowd or a situation is almost always um, in in terms of sexual politics. Mm-hmm. And you really you don't notice it after a while. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just Trixie. But then you have smiling Scotty Moyle saying these lines, and you're like, that's that's odd and creepy. Now mm-hmm. so it was uh, uh, yeah, no, it was fun to do. It was really fun and. Um, it, uh, another episode that had me it just, I guess it was last week or, uh, it was the, it was the, m- one of the most recent, um, oh, let me, I'll, I'll just find the name. Oh, it's Hush Money. It's the one, the most recent episode, uh, the new, the, the oh, latest, yes. um, episode of, um, Blackjack Justice. We have, uh, a slight variation, uh, in it. We have a third person come in and help them sort of with the, uh, investigation, and he's he's uh, he's been in previous episodes. I'm pretty sure. What's what? Yes, button-down Theo. It was his right. third or fourth appearance, and, and you'll actually hear him uh, again this season in in a in a lovely story. Um, but uh, uh, he has always been this um, sort of meek and mild uh, fellow who is the not terribly good junior detective from Braithwaite, which is the big professional agency in town, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, and, and he's hung up on Trixie, um, so he, uh, uh, in, in throwing them a, sort of a bird dog job that Braithwaite wants nothing to do with, uh, he hits upon the happy idea of trying to be more like Jack. Right. And Jack encourages uh, him. Yes. I think it is a uniquely stupid idea, but I am not a very nice person. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and, and so he does, and then Jack plays along, press the, front, the tie, loosen the tie. Yeah, and... and- it's fun to listen to. It's it's it, but it's not just fun. It's 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 a great script because one of the things that happens is you've got this you've got the regular story going right, and then and and the investigation and all that, uh, which which I I I remember now, but it's like that's not what I'm interested. Like what I seem to enjoy about the show is is the character interaction, the dialogue, the the sort of stuff that happens, and then and then when it comes to writing about it, I have to think, oh, what what actually happened. <laughs> uh, it's it's something I experience and and I don't think too deeply about, which is kind of strange because mo- most of the time when I listen to a show, I'm listening for I don't know, uh, for for what's ac- what ideas are going into it. And this one, you're playing with I guess um, there's uh, what is that? The, the, where does that tradition start? With you have one guy whispering in another guy's ear what to say to the b- pretty girl up on the balcony. Oh, you're thinking of Cyrano de Bergerac? Or yeah, Roxanne or something. Yeah, it's, I that's guess it's my Cyrano. Play. That's uh, right. That's uh, uh, well, I did, I'd never thought of the comparison, but uh, well, that's right. what it is. It's uh, it's, 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 it's a, at least a little bit, right? It's a slightly less complicated because, of course, when Cyrano is whispering the the lines to Christiane, he he also loves the girl, but you know, but, well, he has no yeah, chance, so. yeah. Jack Jack um, doesn't seem to Jack. It's it's in, they have an interesting relationship because it does seem to be strictly professional on both their parts and they're they're definitely partners in the 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 uh, there doesn't seem to be anything about sexual tension as much as there's just um there's a part you know he, you know if if somebody killed Trixie Dixon um Jack would be investigating you know when a guy kills your partner right he would just do it exactly the same way wouldn't he 
Yeah, I think uh, they, they do have an interesting relationship, and it, was, it came out of the early choice of when I was writing these scripts, uh, uh, because the first incarnation of Blackjack Justice was a play, mm-hmm. uh, and the play was a farce, and it was a, a very bad day in the, in the life of an old-time radio show called Blackjack Justice, and the second half was the play within the play. Uh, so it was the show going live with an unfinished script and, you know, all the usual nonsense. Uh-huh. Um, and the actors who played Jack and Trixie in that uh, farce, there was a romantic thing there, and they, they wound up together. But when I, I came to write the actual radio series years later, um, I had written the first 12 Red Panda scripts and, and wanted something to pair with it, and so I was uh, printing this, and I... And I um, we had in those days uh, the fairly simple relationship of uh, between um, the Red Panda and Flying Squirrel. There was some tension there. He seemed often oblivious to it, but it really, that was just sort of his way of dealing with the fact that he thought it improper and she was crazy for him, and, but he thought she was just kidding. All the, all the nonsense is lovely tension. So uh, my, my first thought was, well, is there anything between Jack and Trixie? No, absolutely not, never. So once you've yeah. got that clearly delineated for yourself, it's, it's fun because you get to create this relationship where the two of them really don't like each other very much at all. They don't... They know, you know each other really extremely do. well, but they're, they they're like two guys in a well. foxhole. They, yeah, they, they, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll back each other up all the way, but they also, you know, they really, yeah, you're right. They, they don't really, I guess they have a lot in common, but they, maybe they're too much alike. I don't know. There's endless mutual respect, uh, um, you know, in, in a way it's, it's very much like some families um, where, uh, you know, they're, they're absolutely there for each other, um, but, you know, that's, they'd rather banter back and forth. And, and in a way it's, you, you only really notice how much alike they are and how much they get along when you introduce a third party that they want to play off of. Right. Um, so then they immediately, you know, they'll tear at each other all day until someone else comes in the room, and then it's they both turn on, on this part, particularly <laughs> if it's poor old Sabian. Um, yeah, the the lovely thing about you know having worked with these characters and knowing these is sometimes if I get stumped as a as a writer, and it is tricky with Blackjack Justice because superheroes go out looking for trouble. Yeah. They have a way to enter the world. You do one scene where something bad and scary happens, and then you say get to pick it up and, and they're, then they're investigating. They investigate anything, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, private detectives need a way to enter the story. Someone has to hire them to do something or have crossed them somehow. But most of the time, there needs to be a client. Yeah. And there's Who's a in the bill? range of things that you get them to investigate because these aren't like super detectives like Sherlock Holmes. These are the guys on the wrong side of the track that you go to because you can't afford a good detective. So... <laughs> Um, uh, so sometimes, you know, you get a little bit stuck about how to go on with the story or how to, um, how to enter the story. And those are the times when I usually just let the characters carry me for a little bit. And, uh, then we find our way. Um, there was, uh, a script I was working on for, um, the new set that we're recording now, which is season seven, uh, of Blackjack, where I'm like, oh, Really? How do I find it? You know, going to the second act, and how do I uh, how do I carry this forward? And I looked at the screen for a while, and then I just typed the words, "Oh, hello, Nelson." And then Nelson came into the story, and he just gave it this whole other. Nelson is uh, the, sort of the uh, um, uh, the combination of a 
of Otis from uh, uh, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, with a little bit of Barney Fife thrown <laughs> into. He's, uh, you know, he's many times Sabian's foil. He's the uh, inept underling, but he does get uh, one or two outings uh, without Sabian in it. There's a, a lovely episode coming up this season uh, that uh, is is one of my new favorites. Um, it is uh, an episode set entirely in Nelson's car. <laughs> And, uh, and yet we managed to work a surprising number of characters through. And in every set, there's, there's usually an episode that comes off a little bit like a play. A yeah, like a, a, a very arc. much like and, that. Um, and and this, is, this is the one for this year, and I'm quite fond of it. So. Uh, another, another thing that I, I like uh, about this show that is different from a lot of other shows and is, you know, they've got the, the first-person narration of what just happened or what's happening or what, what someone else is doing. So Trixie tells us, you know, uh, I been, went down to the corner store to get my whatever, and then, and then we cut back to Jack, and he's in the office, and he, he's got the, his own little music track playing underneath what he's saying about what he was doing. And, and then in this, uh, in the latest uh, Hush Money, you have um, the new guy, right? <laughs> and he starts to do his own narration, and they say, no, 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 you can't do that. This is our show, basically. I mean, it, it didn't go quite that far, but um, it, it's just a... It's a it's a weird convention because they always say you know show don't tell, but in the noir, hard boiled uh, storytelling, I mean that's that's what the do- a detective does. He tells his story, right? And if and if you listen to um, sort of the the era of uh, classic radio where the hard boiled detective stories were most prevalent, um, which is mostly post war. Uh, and I think they carried forward a lot of the convention of first-person narration from the actual um, from the the novels. Yeah, well, James M. Cain. You know, because you know. uh, uh, the Adventures of Sam Spade on CBS had that first-person narration, and the Maltese Falcon does not have first-person narration. So they went with it because it does allow you to work with a much smaller cast. Mm-hmm. If you have to tell everything revealed through dial and, you know, while they're talking, they're in a cab, well, now you've got to hire someone to play the cabbie. Um, and uh, Prosperity was back. It was post-war. I mean, it was in, in 1932, you could have a, a cast of 26 people in, in your half-hour radio drama because you could pay them in corn. Uh, you know, <laughs> in 1949, you had to find a way to tighten it up. Um, particularly as a lot of those shows, uh, uh, um, Sam Spade had uh, uh, Wild Root Hair Oil as a sponsor for most of the run, um, but uh, uh, Philip Marlowe um, was uh, was mostly sustained by the network. There were a few spells when they when they did have a, a sponsor, and there were some local sponsorship arrangements, um, but the series itself didn't have a big sponsor. So you've got to keep it pretty tight. Uh, so in, in, in coming at Blackjack, I was working in, in the style of that period. Uh, and, and, and it's lovely because in a way it lets you do a bigger story or a, mm. a longer story, but still have five people in, in the cast. Uh, so, yeah, those days are often, we, when we get in now to, to do a Blackjack day, they, we knock those suckers out. <laughs> it just because it's a relatively small group, everybody knows what they're doing, and we get in there and, uh, uh, and bang it out, and it's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed how much story is packed into, I guess, about 26 minutes or so, or 28 oh minutes, God. something like that. Um, it, 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 feels, it feels like there's a lot of content 
uh, in in that short space. But it's uh, even like in Red Panda or or uh, Blackjack. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how 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 do you have you had to compress stuff to to fit in that space or just you you just if you got something good you just I'll say what what maybe I can use this next time in another episode. How do you how do you compress such? I mean, really, these are if these were uh, television shows, they they would be an hour long, forty five minutes at least. And yeah, but an hour long show is only forty five. That's you know, yeah, forty two minutes of story, I think, or something like that. I, I I don't write for television, so I wouldn't say, but there's not that much more that you'd really have to. And and they did have in the early days of television, there there were half hour dramas. They, they stopped doing them, but. Uh, um, you know, as, as a form, it, it is uh, interesting, but it is different. No, I, I think it's really just after this many scripts, I, um, I know where I am when I'm on page eleven mm. of a of a Red Panda. I'm like, whoa, haven't gone to haven't gone to mid show break yet. Got to wrap it up here. Find an opportunity for him to refer to himself in the third person as the Red Panda. Right. Music sting commercial break, uh, and. You, you know where you are, and sometimes, you know, I'm getting on, I'm like, whoo-hoo, I'm on page 13, and I'm nowhere near the end yet, how am I going to do this? But uh, again, like you say, it's you, you set these challenges for yourself as much as anything as a writer, and, and then the fun is writing your way out of the uh, impossible death yeah. that you've conceived. And, uh, and keeping uh, all and that backstory without, you know, you don't chuck out anything, right? There's no, there's no uh, retcon, I guess is what it's called, ret. Uh, retroactive continuities to try. I mean, uh, you you did have the uh, the alternate world panda panda stuff, but that actually got recycled and reused, and it is continuity, right? But that was that was a, an aborted first first show, right? Yeah, years and years and years before before digital recording techniques were cheap and easy, before podcasting. So there was no way to get this product to an audience and it was really expensive to create so it was a, just a good idea all around i mean that was my first attempt at uh, and and of course it was because it was this completely unsolicited pilot for conventional radio um i uh you know you make the compromises that you think you need to make you know say well i guess we better try and make this funny and make it a parody and I'm like well you know that's really not what i want to do and if you listen to those episodes you can hear the series more and more straining mm. to be not goofball, but but it was set. I mean, we had a talking dog already, and uh, and I made a lot of mistakes, like uh, you know, six recurring characters, four of whom never leave headquarters, and you know, mm. <laughs> that leaves us a lot of time to tell the story, doesn't it? Well, it was it was a lot of fun to do, and and the reason I came back to to the Red Panda at all when. Um, um, was because we put those first episodes out just as an afterthought on the company website, not as a podcast or anything. They were just as a free download, and mm-hmm. we started getting email from people saying, "When are you going to make more?" And I looked around and realized we could make more, but let's let's fix them instead. Let's do a, a reboot. Um, and uh, but if you go through, I had originally written twelve scripts, and you can find seeds of a lot of ideas that wound up in. Uh, the current series, and as you say, yes, we've officially enshrined that as an alternate universe where things are sillier but parallel. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, and, a, it's a good idea, you know. The alternate universe—it's it, not all that different. It's just a lot sillier. 
it's, it's a lot sillier. Um, you know, uh, uh, well, bar, Baboon Mix Smoothie, and I mean, uh, I, Baboon Mix Smoothie, Man of a Thousand Faces, is a good name. I give you that. It just doesn't belong in in the, so when he does eventually turn up, and there's already been word of him. I have difficulty remembering where we are and if we've actually seen. Oh, we have too. We've yeah. actually met uh, him, uh, Brian McSweeney, Man of a Thousand Faces. So you give him, uh, and uh, uh, Fitzroy is really the Red Panda Adventures universe's analog to the Prime Minister's talking dog from, from the silly universe. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think we'd ever have got, oh, boy, how many, what script am I working on? I think I'm working on the script for episode 81 oh, here, here, or something like that now. So uh, um, we'd never have got that, that much mileage out of uh, the uh, the first attempt. Uh, it, it really, it's astonishing. I mean, it's become what we do, but uh, it's amazing to me that you know, when I wrote those first scripts, we had the whole kind of unrequited or unconsummated, let us say, thing between uh, the Red Panda and Flying Squirrel, and eventually it got to the point where, well, you, you have to deal with this in some way. You the moonlighting crossover moment. Together. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to have them either get together or end this. Um, and, uh, and either way, it's going to change the show. Mm-hmm. Because you can't just... It, eventually, it would make uh, the character of Kit Baxter ridiculous uh, if she's you know, continually pining. And, you know, it's not, and, and eventually, you have to introduce some other love interest for someone. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that, you know, and have them... You know, then it just turns into a bloody soap opera. Whereas if they uh-huh. get to get well, it'll change, but it can grow and it can progress. Uh, and uh, I've been very pleased that's what it did. I, I got, you know, there was a little bit of blowback at, at first. You know, some people um, were like, "Well, you, know, you can't do that." I'm like, "Yes, actually, I can." And <laughs> I've already done. Next, I've heard the next twelve episodes, and yeah, this works fine. So just, you know, trust me a little bit and stick around. Um, and uh, there, you know, there are some people who just don't like any sort of change, and, and that's fine. But really, I think 36 episodes was. You had you had a flashback episode as well, and they got there. They you you had like one set uh, at their first meeting, I think. Yes, it's it, the whole series is in chronology until you get to episode 18, and that's the flashback to their very first meeting, uh, and then. It, carries on more or less in order now when we get to because my intention has always been to tell the story of this you know 30s mystery man and then he would probably he probably would have said okay well you know i'm starting to feel a little bit of a creak and it's harder to jump from building to building now so let's pack it in or try um but then war breaks out um so he carries on you know they're not they're not old but this is a young man's game uh and uh um and the intention is to carry it through to the end of the Red Panda story. Um, uh, and, but once we hit that point, of course, you know, as we get got closer to that point in the writing of saying, all right, well, you know, we're getting there now. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to stop telling this story. So I've decided that afterwards, and I don't know if we'll continue to do 12 Red Panda stories a year or do six at that point, um, but afterwards we'll start doing stories set throughout the chronology. We've set the basic skeleton of what happens, 
And we've always said there were these other adventures going on, and I continue to let the novels uh, are still... We've done three uh, novels now, and they're set mostly between episode, uh, between seasons one and two. The so covers the for which are awesome, by the way. I'm looking at the, the latest one, the Android Assassins. Uh, whoever's doing your covers are, are very talented. The, uh, the latest cover for uh, the Android Assassins was done by... Um, a fellow named Thomas Perkins, who is uh, a listener and uh, is one of our beloved monthly donors who keeps us on the air and also sent me an email saying, uh, I'd like to do some, some artwork for you, and here's a link to this. And I'm like, well, this is nice. You know, I mean, when people send you this, you don't know what you're going to get. You're either going to get something lovely or you're going to get, you know, some crazy crayon drawing, and, and you don't know. <laughs> um, but then I looked, and I'm like, this guy, he's in he works in animation. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's a character designer. Uh, he's actually uh, um, been working on that. If you've seen the uh, uh, the new Avengers cartoon, uh, Avengers. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. Heroes. Um, and uh, uh, so he's working on, on that. He worked on uh, Green Lantern, First Flight, and uh, um, uh, Batman versus Dracula, and a, a number of things that are you know on our DVD shelf. I'm like... Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, would you like to do the cover for the next book? And he's like, would I? I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> okay. And it's this dynamite cover, which it is actually great. got uh, um, sort of a, a blow-up of it uh, up on, uh, on a, mounted on a board and up in the, in the living room because it's uh, just, a, just a lovely, lovely thing. It um, is. And a, and a, a pulp novel needs a good cover, man. You know, it does. we've uh, we've been very very uh, lucky, and and all of the the three covers um, have been done by uh, uh, different fellows who same kind of thing. This one contacted us and said, uh, "I'd like to do something." I'm like, well, you want to try a book cover and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, three dynamite covers. So they're really terrific looking. And that helps a lot too if you're at uh, as we were at Fan Expo this year. You know, standing behind a convention table in artist alleys, you've got very little space, and um, you know if if the books, you can you can write whatever you'd like. If people, if there's no reason for them to stop and look at it. You know, most of our sales are online, and most of our sales are to people who are already familiar with the Red Panda universe. But uh, when you do get those opportunities to be out in the world with books on a shelf saying, "Hey, stop and look at me," a cover that actually stops you in your tracks uh, is something to have. Let me let me ask you about uh, a line I, I hear, and I, I thought it was a Greg Taylorism, but I think it's not. I think it's just a, a universe thing, and uh, because it comes out of multiple characters' mouths, um, it's an interesting point. This is something I think I hear in every episode now. I'm not sure. I don't notice it until it comes, and then I say, "There it is." Right? It's uh, you know, if, if there was a Dakota Ring drinking game, I'm sure that would be. One of the one of the um, times that people would drink, right? I think so. That uh, that's developed, and a lot of them, I there are a lot of things that I like to to use and, and sprinkle in, and little cheats I'll use as a writer. And most of them, I can tell you where I got them from. Uh huh. Um, you know, like when somebody says, "Are you suggesting that we blah 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 blah?" or uh, "You want this, don't you?" I really do. I really do pops up a lot, and that's an Aaron Sorkinism. I rip that off. Uh-huh. Not even really a rip off. It's just you, you hear no, I, like yeah, you I get somebody play a certain note in a certain way, and you're like, "Yep, that's how I do it." Boop, 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 boop. Uh, and that just pops in there. But uh, it's an interesting point. Yeah, I, I do. I do enjoy using that. It has crept its way into um, 
into my speech, but I think I'm aware of the fact that I'm quoting myself when I say it. So I don't, I don't do it too, I try and do it judiciously. Um, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it works. I enjoy it. But yeah, it's never been one character's phrase. Uh, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of folks will say it. Good times comes up a lot too. Uh, yeah, good times. It, that which started as a Sabianism, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I allowed other characters to start saying it, and, and I'm sure it's come up in the Red Panda universe once or twice too. It's uh, it's very interesting that uh, it, it, I didn't I didn't see it exactly like that, but uh, I was thinking that you know I had two two questions I wanted I wanted to ask about this, and then and then you're saying it's you know it's an errant Sorkinism, and and that that sort of ties into the other thing I was thinking is. What what you're doing with this sh- with both of these shows is something that most shows don't do, which is they get one writer and he tells a big story, and it's a series. Like I'm thinking, J. Michael Straczynski and Babylon Five, right? I'm thinking right. Aaron Sorkin and The West Wing, uh, at least uh, to a large degree, right? And a few other shows here and there, or uh, novels or something. But mostly, most shows are written by a bunch of people who get together and they. They they do hang together, but they don't have um, it, it, the actions sort of take place by committee. the The behaviors of characters are determined by you know what's happened before and what would be cool to happen next. And lots of different people have different ideas. It's very different kind of writing than what what you're doing. Is that is that do you like look at particular writers and say? This is what I like to see. This is what I want to do. Or is it is it a lot less uh, constructed than that? I think I have been, to one degree or another, in training uh, to write these shows for most of my life. Um, you know, in, in reading uh, comic books and in watching cartoons and in watching uh, adaptations of these characters for uh, um, for. The big screen in uh, I remember when when we first got a VCR and yes kids I am that old um, and uh, <laughs> you know we didn't get all that many channels because they used to put TV through the air and you had a thing on the top of your house that got the uh, and uh, I taped the Maltese Falcon off of a CBC and uh, and watched it about a billion times because to buy a commercial videotape of a movie was like ninety dollars yeah, or something ridiculous. And that was um, that was that was eighties and nineteen uh, nineties dollars was a lot of money. It was a it was a lot of money. You know, a blank tape was twenty bucks. Ten bucks yeah. or something like that. Uh and so you we had to be a little judicious. Uh and uh, I watched that over and over and over and over and uh, and that led to interest in a lot of other things, and in you know reading the Sherlock Holmes stories and uh, reading the the Shadow novels, which uh, sort of found my way to the Shadow because uh, the, from I think the first time I was exposed to them, and I don't remember exactly when that was, but uh, and I love the, the films of Orson Welles and uh, and uh, the other radio work of Orson Welles, and found my way to the Shadow, and loved that, and found my way to the pulp novels from there, which are completely different, but also not, and just uh, uh, wonderful uh, storytelling, and uh, that uh, that passion and energy that comes in there to you know just 
anything that I've been influenced by. I went, there was a spell there in the early days of the West Wing, and I don't have appointment viewing with a lot of television. I just don't have that relationship with television anymore, and it's a succession of lousy jobs over the years that have kept me on erratic schedules. And then now, you know, with kids, you just don't... Anything can be interrupted by SpongeBob at any time, <laughs> uh, and, and often is. Um, and uh, But uh, I, I used to, in those early days of the West Wing, I would, I would tape that and then watch it when I got home, and then, and then stop it and rewind it and watch it again. Um, loved it. Loved it. The show eventually, you know, it declined and Sorkin left, and they had a really bad season, and I bailed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then I, I, and then I did see, and people said it recovered, but I never went back during the run, and I've, I've watched it since in reruns. And, yes, they did recover and, and, and told uh, a, a good story, but it was never the same. You know, those early scripts, it was like a play. Mm-hmm. A wonderful cast of actors who were actors, not actors who were TV people necessarily, and uh, and 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 they would do an intelligent play about ideas with some mm-hmm. um, So I loved those, and and, and invariably I, I picked up and and stole um, little phrases, little ways of uh, entering a scene, uh, um, and. Uh, but it's never been a conscious thing to say. Um, uh, I, I, I think that in writing the first season of the Red Panda Adventures, uh, they're a little tighter to form of the um, uh, of particularly the early Shadow episodes and some some Green Hornet stuff, um, because I had at the time. I remember too the the MP3 revolution um, really saved old time radio mm-hmm. uh, there were there were the fellows who you know copying tape to tape and and, and, and kept the recordings alive and, and in circulation but people might have you know a few, few dozen of these things um, and uh, then all of a sudden there's the mp3 and you encode things and you trade them and you everybody has a complete set of everything if you want it uh, and and going through and some things are are officially contraband, um, but because there is still an active copyright, but a lot aren't, um, or it's just not enforced. And you can go through and listen to 275 surviving episodes of The Shadow and see how it was done. How how did you do this when it was the dominant popular art form? Um, and there was no official releases. It's not like you could go down to the store and get get all the records. It's not like it was ever released. It, it, that whole, like you're saying, that whole art form would have been completely forgotten. You know, people would have read about it in the books and said, oh, well, I guess that was something. And But not, you know, knowing that it was there, it's like, uh, there was this guy named Shakespeare. We don't know anything about his plays. Well, <laughs> that would have been quite quite a different universe than what we what we have. If, if, if people preserve something, it's not wrong. And I, I think... Oh, it, I think it's it, true. I think you know you've you've got something here that is definitely inspired by the past, but as you're saying, you know it, it's set in the past. Both both of them, one set post war and one set uh, in the war now, and yet they're 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 inspired by the past, but they're very modern. And uh, I, I just I think you're doing an amazing amazing job, and I'm really glad to hear that we're up to episode 81. You said you're working on. Uh, I think it's I think it's eighty one. We're 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 there anyway. I'm I'm uh, in the back half of uh, season seven in the writing, uh, and we have 
we have the first half seasons haven't all recorded and uh, most of next year's blackjack. We've always, uh, we started it, and, and this is my most frequently ignored piece of advice when someone does ask me, you know, I'd like to start a, a non-audio drama. Um, and my advice is write a bunch of scripts, get a bunch of people, record all the scripts, mix most of them to the point where you're happy with them, and then start releasing. Yeah. But they write one script. They get all their friends together. They record one script, and, and then they put it out. And then, you know, they have a month's worth of work to do before they can do the second episode. Um, and I think it's why a lot of things falter, because the pressure to just keep things coming out or, or keep things coming on a regular basis is enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, set a schedule, keep to the schedule, and work ahead of the schedule. So because we had recorded 24 episodes, and then we put the... I, we were still recording when we when we put them out. We were recording the last few, and the response. Now at the time, I look back at it now. I'm like, we were excited because we had 105 downloads mm-hmm. <laughs> in the day. What is ridiculous? I, you know, uh, but uh, but at the time it was super exciting. And getting these emails from all over, like I can't believe that. Um, so obviously we have to keep doing them. So I just right away went back into writing, and we and we kept recording, and we kept that lead off of episodes, uh, and we've n- never lost it. Um, uh, both times when we were expecting our, our first child, I, I worked like a demon to get more scripts out, and we uh, and, and get farther ahead in the recording in because we didn't know what we recorded home. We had no idea what that was going to do to our schedule, um, and uh, and again. Um, when we were expecting our second, uh, we um, did a very, very busy recording year, um, and which means this year, as we adjust, um, we can uh, take a slightly more relaxed approach. Uh, and then invariably, we take the summer off from recording because, uh, well, first of all, ambient noise you know, is not a... a on a perfect environment for that, but in the winter it sure is. You don't mm-hmm. hear a peep in here, but in the summer, well, there's some guy mowing his lawn over mm-hmm. there, and now we've got problems. Um, and also, you know, we do have a, a tremendously talented uh, ensemble of actors, and in the summertime they're all off doing uh, different acting gigs and, uh, and working in uh, theaters all over or, or coming to a town near you with some touring Shakespeare they do in a park and... Uh, uh, I'd love I'd love to hear the decoder ring Shakespeare. I'd love to see you guys tackle a uh, a play. Be, uh, you know, like some uh, some classic. Uh, even Cyrano would be wonderful. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, the actors that are involved, um, I met working with a, a company that doesn't really produce anything anymore. Uh, called the Tempest Theater, which was run started when uh, Michael Booth, who plays Chief O'Malley, among other roles, uh, and uh, John Lear, um, who did uh, Deck Gibson for us. Um, uh, two of them put it together in university and just sort of kept it going and things. And, uh, uh, and, and we got into a, a really nice routine with it where we would do uh, shows for schools, but they would tour into us mm-hmm. uh, in a variety of uh, sort of mid-sized six, seven hundred seat theaters. And so you'd do Macbeth for three weeks and then Romeo and Juliet for two weeks and then second term comes along and you do Macbeth again. I've done Macbeth too many bloody times, frankly. Uh, and you sort of play, end up playing most of the male roles at one point or another in essentially the same production of Macbeth. And then Romeo and Juliet they were never happy with and every time we would redo it. 
uh, in Hamlet a, a bunch of times, and then in some smaller um, theaters with the same bunch, did uh, uh, Julius Caesar and an Othello. And um, so a lot of times, not only have we done it, but we've done that together. Uh, well, I first met uh, Chris Mott um, when we were sort of, uh, there'd been a break from Tampa's Productions for a couple of years um, when everyone went on to other other work and, and we decided to put the band back together and see <laughs> if there was still gas in the tank and we brought in this new guy to play uh, Lennox and uh, uh, which was a part that I was stuck in for about 122 performances <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and and it was Chris Mott it just worked out that way and uh, um, uh, Julie Cogger was uh, in that production for the first time and uh um, and, and other folks. And so most of us have, uh, um, uh, oddly enough, just after we got married, Clarissa did uh, a, a remount of that same Macbeth as, as one of the witches, but I wasn't in the show because I'd stopped doing them at that point. I sort of had uh, 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 more of a day job at that point. And uh, um, so, yeah, we've all done it. It's, it's funny, and you learn a tremendous amount about, you know, attaching import to your words, uh, no matter what you're saying, um, and you've got to, uh, particularly in, in doing Shakespeare, particularly a lot of times for, uh, for schools, uh, you know, you've got an audience of 16 year olds who may or may not have finished reading the play, uh-huh. but from what you're doing, they've got to get what you're talking about. So you have to know exactly what you're talking about. And if you're that crystal clear, they will be clear. Um, so, uh, it was a, a great training ground. Uh, in in that way, um, yeah, you've got you've got this set of stage. I, I think of them as stage actors. They're they're not they're not the people who you see on on TV who who you know they, they got a modeling gig or they're ex football player. They, these are people who love the stage and and then you put them into the into the into the plays and they 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 just you know they it's it's like they're in their element and they they're acting their way. Uh, through the story, and it's 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 just wonderful. And I I, I I was thinking about actually, I guess it was yesterday. I was thinking about, um, yeah, I'd love to see Much Ado About Nothing, uh, the the Dakota Ring Theater version. And I'm thinking, who would I cast in all the different roles? Um, uh, but the thing is, you don't do long long stuff, right? You you do, you know, half hour. How how long would it? And can it even be done? Can you cast? Uh, can you? redo you know uh, these are these are audio dramas right if you turn them into cartoons you you would excise i'm sure a lot of the script uh and i would write different scripts yeah you would they wouldn't look the same into cartoon i would write something for that rather than recycle um and again just as we're doing with the um the novels i'd love to do cartoon stuff i'd uh, you know i'd oh so much I'd love to do cartoon stuff, whether it's cartoon short or a cartoon uh, for television or you know cartoon I, feature. Sure. Yeah, Anybody I saw the, want to do that? Yeah, call me. Uh, please. Um, but I saw the I, I saw the comic book version of um, of uh, Blackjack, and what I noticed most about it was how much how much how many word balloons there were because it was an adaptation, right? And so it was all dialogue, and Trixie's looking, you know, over at Jack, and Jack's looking at Trixie, and they're just talking, right? It's all dialogue. In, in comics, most of the time, it's a, you know, a little word balloon, and then a little bit of background information, and then lots of action. But yeah, I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot to do with, uh, with that adaptation. I think there was, uh, 
Oh, it looked great, but it was it was essentially the play. It was essentially it was essentially the the play, right? It was it was a very close adaptation. It wasn't it wasn't let's move this to a different medium as much as I want to do a visual version of this. And there is, you know, the the um, the artist did the, the the whole enterprise, as many of these things do, just sort of disappeared. Um, the the artist who lives in Finland uh, had finished the the drawings mm-hmm. for a second story, um, and then everything sort of vanished. So I, I do. We've talked about it in principle. He says, well, you know, it's fine if you find somebody to do it, taking those drawings and then making it into a little. A very simple sort of a of a well, not a film, but you know, just essentially take the audio for that episode and then flick around on that. Well, you, you know what I mean? Make uh-huh. something visual with the two things together, and uh, just to get it out there because his work is uh, is really uh, lovely stuff. Uh-huh. It's wonderful to see the characters adapted. Um, it, again. It does remind you why, you know, no one will necessarily ever love your thing the way that you do. Um, and so if I, if I did go down that road again, yeah, it would be um, more involved. What I'd love to do really with the Red Panda, because so many people, and so many talented artists have said, I'd love to do something with you. And it's like, well, you know, do you want to do something sequential? Like, um, yeah, I don't know if I have time to do that, you know, because it is a, a, it's a, it's a Yeah, that's so what 24 I'd hours a day. Do, yeah. Uh, what I'd, I'd really love to do is, uh, down the road maybe, is to write a bunch of comic scripts that would be between, you know, three and seven pages, a bunch of little stories, sort of spirit section size stories or, or even smaller. Um, yeah, backup and, than a regular comic would work for that length. Exactly. And and have uh, different artists in different styles, like just whoever you know, a bunch of different people, um, do all of these and assemble them into a collection, and then you know, uh, do it as a, a fundraiser for Comic Book Legal Defense Fund or something like that, because that you'd never good. be able to actually work out the math of how much do you get paid for drawing your three pages. Well, just okay, nobody gets paid. Let's do it as a fundraiser for mm-hmm. for a good cause like that, and put it out in the world. Um, so I I would love to do that, and and there are. Uh, there's there's a handful of some uh, some very talented people who have said, well, if you ever get that off the ground, I will totally do. Uh, I'll, I'll do one of them. You know, I mean, I think you'd need you need a lot more guys than I've got right now. <laughs> but um, uh, but that would be uh, that would be something to do. And and I'd love to see the characters interpreted in a bunch of different ways. But again, because it's a single creator universe, if I'm writing each of these scripts, they're all continuity. Yeah. I hated that. You know, you see, you know, they do a, an adaptation or a film or a this or a that of something that I enjoy. And like, well, that's great, but it's not continuity. Yeah. So it's not a real story. Um, and I know that's a daffy way to look at it. Of course, it's what's a real story. Mm. Um, but if you listen to the, um, the Red Panda Adventures and then you read one of the Red Panda novels, well, that's continuity. They're all in the same universe together and there are things that pop up in the, uh, in the scripts that reference things in the novels. Never something that you need to have heard, but there is the universe expands every time you, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know a little bit more and, uh, and it's wonderful for me. You know, I'm writing now into the 40s of, uh, um, with the characters and then to be able to go back and write their 1934 versions again when they're, you know, chauffeur and boss. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, so there's a, a lot of a lot of freedom, but it all is one big picture. And even once we finish the story and then go back and tell over the course of a year, stories sprinkled throughout the continuity. So this one is in 1934, and here was a story in 1938, and here's a story featuring the red squirrel that's set in, hmm. um, you know, in the future, and, uh, and, and, and pop all over the place. Um, they'll always fit into, I'll probably have to make a flowchart eventually, um, but they'll always fit somewhere in, in that continuity uh, and always be uh, part of it. Um, so... Yeah, it, it's fun to build a world like that. And it's also fun, as I do with Blackjack Justice, to really not... <laughs> it's a pretty static universe. We do progress a little bit through time, but not very much. In Blackjack? And no, there's, very there's, much. everybody stays the same, pretty much. Everybody pretty much stays the same. Um, uh, Jack met a nice girl at the end of last season, and I'm allowing that to develop. And, uh, and continue, but because she's not a detective, she's not going to be in every episode at all. Um, she's just, you know, it, it occurred to me that this was, that, that Jack was completely miserable. And he didn't show it because he's a tough guy, but he was completely <laughs> miserable. Trixie, like, things fine the way she, you know, you definitely got the impression that everything in Trixie's world was kind of the way that she would have it be right now. Um, uh, Panda and Squirrel, well, uh, you know, obviously they're in, up to their neck in Nazis, but they're quite happy together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, even a lot of the supporting characters, you say, well, in, in one way or another, they are, if we pause to consider them at all, we realize they are in the place in the universe where they would be. But there's always these melancholy echoes with Jack that he's, um, uh, you know, that there's something happened in his family X number of years ago and he's got no connection with his family or this small town somewhere that he'll never go back to and uh, always sort of watches the girl go at the end. It's his bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just looked at something I'd written. I'm like, really? Is that, are you, is this what I've done? And I felt this sort of Pirandello-esque responsibility <laughs> for the lives of my characters. Um, and I'm like, well, if I got, because you know, when Robert Parker died uh, last year, um, a number of people I know, and I, I, a fan of the Spencer series, I don't really, I've read some of the Jesse Stones, but I don't really, um, I don't really follow it that much. Um, but, uh, people just kept saying, oh no, now Jesse will never get over his ex-wife. That's right. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I guess not. Um, so you'd like to, uh, and, and I didn't think, well, you know, maybe I will, Put Jack in a place where if I were, you know, crushed by a cement mixer, um, <laughs> the audience could expect that, although they never hear it, that he went on to be happy, um, just with the way things were set. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean he's not going to get repeatedly punched in the face <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, he's, you know, he's still the same guy. But there will be uh, someone to care about him when, while I he's lying in the hospital. in this incredibly lonely place where he's unhappy and left him there. Uh, so, uh, yes, it's, uh, I'm, I am sometimes a cruel Old Testament God and other times I'm, you know, the kind and loving New Testament God. Uh, and, and, and I find this good. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.